smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're continuing our series, The Gospel According to Moses. In this episode, Matt Waldron is speaking to us from Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 to 16. Gospel freedom. Here's Matt. Well, uh, Jesus said about himself, If the Son sets you free, you will be really free. And the Jews he was speaking to at the time were a bit offended and sort of saying, Hang on a second, we've never been slaves of anyone. And, and similarly, uh, people in our time are often blind to their slavery, and we can be blind to our slavery. So, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus today to understand real freedom. So, just to give you a bit of a, a heads up of uh, what we're doing... Today is the the second talk in our series, uh, The Gospel According to Moses. We're going to be looking at each of the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, or technically called the Pentateuch. There we go. And we're going to see how these five books uh, are the foundation of the whole Bible, which reaches its climax and is focused on the Gospel. That is, who Jesus is and what He's done. So as we go through the five books of Uh, The Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy will see the shape of gospel promise, gospel freedom, gospel relationship, gospel journey and gospel focus. So today, gospel freedom. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book of Exodus, uh, well, I'm going to go through the basic story. And the one thing I want you to take away is that freedom has two halves. Freedom is a coin with two sides. There's freedom from slavery but that's only half the story. The other half is freedom to serve. So if you get nothing else from the story, you're only looking out for how freedom has two halves, freedom from slavery and freedom to serve. Uh, If you're quite familiar with the the book of Exodus, and it's a very uh, well-known story in uh, the Bible, in Christian tradition, uh, you might like to also be looking out for the contrast between Pharaoh and Yahweh and how they are the two masters that uh, the Israelites uh, have relationships with in this book and what that can teach us about freedom. Okie dokie, so let's dive into the story. Uh, Exodus has two main main sections. The first half, chapters 1 to 18, is about freedom from slavery to Pharaoh, and the second half, chapters 19 to 40, is about freedom to serve Yahweh. So, freedom from slavery to Pharaoh, Uh, The first half of the story has three big kind of sections. Uh, Moses begins, Yahweh rescues the Hebrews from Pharaoh, and Yahweh cares for the Hebrews. So the first few chapters, Moses begins, this is Moses' origin story, basically. So uh, it starts off with the Israelites under Pharaoh. Uh, We get this brief description of how we got from the end of the book of Genesis, where uh, Jacob also known as Israel, his family are in Egypt because God has used his son Joseph to rescue them from the famine by taking them to Egypt. In fact, God has rescued the whole of Egypt from the famine through Joseph. 
Uh, and now the Israelites have prospered there. You know, they've had children, have had children, have had children. There's so many of them. They're this large ethnic group that uh, the Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, eventually has forgotten about the history of his relationship with uh, uh, Joseph and his family. And he just feels this ethnic group are a threat. What if they join with their enemies? So he figures he needs to keep them under the thumb, oppress them with harsh labor as slaves. Uh, but the more the Pharaoh uh, oppresses them, the more they prosper. So that makes it worse. So he has a great plan. He'll tell the midwives, when you're helping an Israelite woman to have a baby, if it's a boy baby, kill the baby. And we'll just say it was an accident of childbirth. The midwives refuse to go along with this. So in frustration, the Pharaoh just makes a general proclamation to his country. Right? Israelite babies, if they're boys, we kill them. But even though he's kind of big and scary he can't actually make this happen one of his own daughters rescues an Israelite boy baby and adopts him and names him Moses uh, Moses grows up and sees the terrible way his uh, people are treated uh, like a uh, angry young man he takes it out on one particular Egyptian who's mistreating uh, a Hebrew slave uh, kills him but it becomes known what he's done and so Moses flees the country and goes off to live a quiet life in the wilderness as a kind of nomadic shepherd, gets himself a wife, settles down. So Moses has escaped, but meanwhile, the Israelites are still facing this terrible mistreatment in Egypt. And in their distress and crying out, God hears their cry and remembers his promise to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and decides to do something about it. So uh, God appears to Moses in a, a burning bush on a mountain called Sinai. Uh, uh, Moses goes to see the, the site of this bush that seems to be on fire, even though the bush isn't burning up. And God speaks to him audibly out of the bush and says, I'm revealing myself to, to you here. That's a big deal. It's holy ground. You should show some respect. Uh, and then God speaks to Moses audibly and gives him his job to go and lead the Israelites out of slavery. And Moses says, well, if the people ask, who are you? Uh, you know, what God is this? Uh, is he really more powerful than Pharaoh? That's kind of the implication. What do I say? And uh, uh, God says, uh, I'm the father of your of the sorry, the God of your forefathers. Uh, tell them I am who I am. You can call me Yahweh for short. That's what Yahweh means. I am who I am. Uh, in other words, you're going to see me in action. And you'll know that it's worked because you'll bring the people out of slavery and you'll bring them to worship me on this mountain just like you are. So Yahweh sends Moses off. Moses uh, goes and tells the Israelites that God has heard their prayers and been concerned for them. And uh, he goes and confronts Pharaoh. And Pharaoh just thinks what they need is harder work to put these silly ideas out of their heads. So that's the origin story. So then the next section is where God acts. Yahweh rescues the Hebrews from Pharaoh. Uh, so the famous section here, this is probably the most famous part of the book of Exodus, is what's normally called the Ten Plagues. Uh, can I remember them all? Let's see how I go. Uh, he turns the water to blood. Uh, he sends, uh, is it frogs next? And then flies and then gnats. Some of these are going to be out of order. Uh, and then I think it's the plague on the livestock next. I feel like I'm missing one. Uh, then there's the, 
hail, which destroys the crops. The crops that aren't destroyed by the hail are eaten by the locusts. Then there's the darkness. There's just three days of the sun doesn't shine. And I'm missing one, haven't I? Boils. Thank you. There's the plague of boils, where the people will get boils. And then finally, uh, the plague on the firstborn, where God kills every firstborn child uh, in Egypt, whether they're a child or an adult. So the Bible says there's not a family, not a household, where there's not somebody who dies. So here are the... Sorry? The firstborn of the livestock as well. Yes. So there are these ten plagues. Uh, Some things to notice there. uh, The breadth depth and justice of the plagues. Uh, Kind of every aspect of life at some point gets hit by one of these disasters. The depth of God's control over these, not only does he sometimes, uh, you know, just demonstrate his control over the plagues themselves, you know, the plagues won't affect the place where the Israelites are living, or uh, he'll say to Pharaoh, tell me when you want me to switch this off. And Pharaoh says, let's do it then. And God just goes... Right, so God's uh, got this depth of control, but it's also to the point where not only is Pharaoh just stubborn in himself, but the Bible says repeatedly that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh himself is not outside of God's control in this whole situation. And finally, the justice of it. Uh, remember, Pharaoh has been having this policy of killing all baby Israelite boys. And so... God gives him this escalating warning until finally he says, okay, if that's how you're going to treat my people, I'm going to kill all of your firstborn. God doesn't just do it, right? Pharaoh gives no warning. He just does it. God gives ten warnings. And Pharaoh has every opportunity to avert disaster and he doesn't. And so he gets a punishment that is completely in proportion to the evil he has been perpetrating in his nation. Uh, The other quick things to notice in this section is that there is an introductory and concluding sign. So before the ten plagues, uh, Moses uh, goes to Pharaoh and uh, he gives him the message and he throws down his staff and God turns it into a snake. And then uh, Pharaoh's magicians uh, and sorcerers, they throw down their staffs and turn them into snakes. And then Moses' staff snake eats their staff snakes before Moses picks it up again. Right, there's a very simple, clear message there, right? God is going to win this. God is going to beat your magic, right? Change your ways now. (laughs) And then the concluding sign is where uh, the people are fleeing through the desert and Pharaoh uh, brings his army and cavalry to chase them. And so God parts the waters of the Red Sea so the Israelites can walk through on dry ground. And then when uh, the Egyptians go to follow, God brings the waters back to drown them. So those introductory and concluding signs uh, frame the ten plagues and really show you clearly the meaning of what's going on. Right? God is more powerful than Egyptian magic. God is more powerful than the Egyptian military. The things that the Egyptians put their faith in right? Uh, God is more powerful than all of that. As the um, plague on the firstborn is being uh, described and organized, and people are throwing things on the floor, sorry about that. Uh, As that plague's being organized, God explains that what he's doing is bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt. 
So this is not just about physical slavery, it's about uh, spiritual slavery. That's what's at stake. Uh, And the other thing that goes on in that section, when you get to the climax with the plague of the firstborn, you have a couple of chapters of kind of interlude establishing the traditions of how the Israelites are going to remember this forever. This is what is going to found them as a nation. And so they need to remember this for the rest of history. So uh, you've got the origin story of Moses. Moses begins. You've got the action sequence where Yahweh rescues the Hebrews from Pharaoh. And then you have this lovely little kind of scene where Yahweh cares for the Hebrews. Uh, just, just four chapters there. No, three. Um, it starts off with the Israelites grumbling, basically saying they've had this amazing experience of being rescued. They're out in the wilderness, ready to go. And they say, gosh, this just looks too hard. We would have been better off just staying in Egypt. So even though God has rescued them physically from slavery, they're still slaves, right? A slave who you set free and they go, gosh, freedom sucks. I wish I was a slave again. In their head, they're still slaves. Uh, So God provides for them. He provides them food, uh, particularly manna, which is this kind of um, uh, miraculous bread that kind of just appears, congeals in the dew every morning on the ground. Uh, God tells them to collect it six days a week and to have a day off on the seventh day, just to make it clear that he is the one providing, and they can trust him. He provides them water out of a rock, so he's providing for their basic needs in a way that shows, teaches them clearly to trust him. And then uh, he's uh, showing them both that he defeats their enemies and provides them with allies uh, in their uh, wilderness experience. So they come across the Amalekites who want to make trouble, and God defeats them, and then they uh, come to meet Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, and Jethro gives them some great advice about getting themselves organized. So there you go. That's the first half of the book of Exodus, how they get freedom from slavery to Pharaoh. You have this origin story of Moses escaping and being sent to rescue them. You have Yahweh acting powerfully to rescue the Hebrews from Pharaoh. And then you have Yahweh just caring for them um, and showing that in their heads they're still slaves. They're physically free from slavery to Pharaoh, but they haven't got freedom yet. So that brings us to the second half of the book. I reckon when I'm struggling in my faith, I reckon this is normally the problem. I'm just thinking about getting rid of bad things, and I'm not clear enough about what the good things are that God has for me. I reckon that's a common problem uh, when people uh, feel like they're getting a hard deal from God, I reckon it's because they're focused too much on the bad things that they want less of and not enough on the good things that God wants to give them more of. That's my theory. I could be wrong. So, first half of the book, freedom from slavery to Pharaoh. Second half, freedom to serve Yahweh. We're going to go through this a bit quicker. Uh, This is probably less familiar and easier to get lost in the details. So I just want you to see the big picture of the story. Uh, so they get to Mount Sinai and they have covenant worship there. Just as God said, he's going to bring them back to Mount Sinai. Moses will bring the whole of Israel and they'll all worship God together. That's exactly what happens. They arrive and uh, God's going to reveal himself to them. So it's a big deal. This is holy ground. Show some respect. So they get some instructions about how to do that. 
God speaks to them verbally, like they, the whole nation of Israel hears God's voice from this kind of fiery, it's not just a bush that's on fire now, but not being on fire. The whole mountain is like on fire, except the mountain is not burning up. So it's, it's what Moses experienced on a national scale. And God speaks to them the Ten Commandments. The whole of Israel hear it. They're being sent, just as Moses was sent to go and uh, rescue the Israelites from slavery to Pharaoh, uh, they're told they're going to be a nation of priests. They are sent to the world uh, to rescue people from slavery. How are they going to do that? By living God's way. Uh, not having any other gods, not making idols, uh, remembering the Sabbath, uh, not killing, uh, honoring their parents, all that good stuff. They're going to show the rest of the world what life with God is like. That's covenant worship. The people are so overwhelmed by hearing God speak to them. They say, Moses, please ask God to give you his messages for us. Because hearing him speak to us directly is freaking us out. It's so overwhelming. So they all agree that's going to be the plan. And uh, so Moses goes to get some more instructions. And uh, they have this, this first sacrifice they, they make this earthen altar, they sacrifice the animal, they cook it, and they eat this meal together in God's presence. They all say, yep, we're going to follow, follow God, follow Yahweh. So that's the covenant worship on Mount Sinai. Now, you might think the book would finish there. Now they've got real freedom. They're free to serve God. But there's got to be two things organized. The first one is they're not in the promised land yet. Uh, what they need is a relationship with God, but God, because He's a wonderful God, wants to bless them, so He's going to take them to the land that He's promised to Abraham. So they need to have this covenant worship traveling. And so uh, God gives Moses the plan for the tabernacle, which is basically a traveling worship center. Uh, that's chapters 25 to 31. Uh, then when Moses comes down from the mountain getting those instructions, the first thing that the Israelites have done is broken covenant worship. Uh, they've uh, made a golden calf and said, this is the God that set us free from Pharaoh, which is exactly what God said not to do. Right? I, I am who I am. I'll do stuff and you'll know me and we'll have a relationship. And they go, gosh, that seems hard and we're getting impatient. We'll just make stuff up. Right? God seems kind of strong and noble and inspiring like a calf and we'll make out of gold. How could he object to that? Uh, he has just told us not to do that and we've just said we wouldn't. Anyway, so uh, Moses, God says, well, this is clearly a disaster. I'll have to kill everybody and Moses, it'll be your family. We'll rebuild a nation out of you. And Moses goes and uh, pleads with God, uh, don't do that. Uh, you've promised to look after this people despite how obnoxious they are. And uh, you want to show the whole world what kind of a God you are. So that'll be better if you uh, forgive the people. And so God does. Uh, he does uh, punish what seem like the ringleaders and kill them. But he continues with the nation. The covenant is renewed. And uh, God appears to Moses and shows himself to be both fair and also forgiving a God of justice and compassion. And so then the last section of the book is them setting up the tabernacle, setting up the traveling worship center. And at the end of the book, uh, God's presence in smoke and fire at the top of the mountain 
comes down into the tabernacle, comes down into this tent they've set up. And so you go, we're ready for a road trip with God. It's amazing. So there's Exodus. Freedom from slavery to Pharaoh and freedom to serve Yahweh. So I want to suggest a, a little activity that would be good to think about uh, in uh, thinking about this book. First, well, t- we're going to do two things. Firstly, uh, for those who have been trying to think about how it compares Pharaoh and Yahweh, let me just make a quick comment on that. Uh, Pharaoh is uh, insecure. Too many Israelites, I'm scared. The problem with Pharaoh is not that he's too powerful. In a sense, it's that he's not powerful enough. God is unassailable in his power. You can't, you can't threaten God if you wanted to. Uh, Pharaoh is limited. He can't even control his own daughter. Uh, God is all-powerful. He can even control Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is dependent. He's dependent on the water. He's dependent on the sun. He's dependent on you know, nature and livestock and plants and all that stuff. God is the great I am who created all those things and simply commands them as servants. Uh, Pharaoh is unreliable. Uh, he forgets the history of his relationship with the Israelites. Uh, Yahweh is faithful. He remembers his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Pharaoh is essentially uncaring. When um, Moses comes to him and says, you know, this is not a good situation, he just doesn't care. Yahweh is compassionate. When Moses intercedes for the Israelites, when they have sinned, God cares. Uh, So the difference between slavery to Pharaoh and serving Yahweh, the big difference is Yahweh is completely different to Pharaoh. And so the difference for us as we are seeking to grow in turning from sin and serving Jesus is the big difference is what Jesus is like. Getting to know him better. That's where we find true freedom. Okay, so here's a little activity, which I've just remembered a bit I need to type on, so I'll talk while I type, which will be slightly weird. Uh, we're going to do an activity called 15 Second Testimony. Can I edit this while it's showing? No, I can't. You can? You show me how to do it. Um, we're going to do an activity called 15 Second Testimony. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to... You might not need all 10, because it's only going to take 15 seconds if you nail it. Uh, to summarize in 15 seconds, what difference does God make in your life? So I want to put in number four. Okay, excellent. Excellent. You're a legend. Thank you. Um, so this might be very easy or it might be quite hard, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. It's like, oh my goodness, how do I boil that down to 15 seconds? So let me give you two reasons why this is worth doing. Firstly, it'll be great for you to just have in your head how God has taken you, you know, what he's rescued you from and what he's rescued you for, to have a little personal slogan of that in your head will be a great encouragement to you. Secondly, it'll be a great way to share your experience of God in your life with other people, to encourage other Christians, to share that with people who are not Christians, uh, to encourage them to consider following Jesus. So, four things to figure out. Uh, There was a time in my life, and then you describe what it is that God has rescued you from. That's the slavery part. But now, Jesus. 
what is it about what, who Jesus is and what he's done that most impacts you? I mean, of course, it all impacts you, but that is closest to your heart. And so, what's your experience of freedom in following Jesus now? And then a good question to finish with is, have you got a story like that? Uh, where a person who's a Christian can tell you their testimony and you can both encourage each other and a person who's not a Christian can tell you about their experience of life and their struggles or encouragements or whatever it is and that'll be a good opportunity to continue to talk about Jesus together. So, um, how, to, how to actually make this happen? Uh, there's not a right answer. That's the first thing. The whole point of this is to figure it out for yourself to actually think about your life and how God has worked in your life and what your experience of that is and then summarize it. So beware of shortcuts. <laughs> Don't try and just come up with the right answer. Think about your life. What you want is you want to summarize this so well that if somebody asks you for more detail, you don't have to think about it because you've already thought, you know, this is the summary of your actual life. And of course, you know your life. So you can, you can give more... I can give you the half an hour version of my testimony very easily because that doesn't require editing. That's just my experience of my life. But to think about how to summarize that down, you've got to think about it. Um, the second thing is, uh, it, it, it sort of doesn't matter. This might be the story of you becoming a Christian. It might not be that. It's the story of what God has done in your life really summarized down. So it might be how you became a Christian. It might be other things that God has done in your life, either at a particular time or over a long course of time, looking back. Uh, the final thing is, I reckon a good kind of rule of thumb, the 15 seconds is just to say, make it short, it's not a rule, right? <laughs> I reckon a good rule of thumb is, say two things about each of those three things. What were two of the bad things that I'm glad to be free of? What are the two things about Jesus that kind of mean that most to me? And what are two things about living in freedom with Jesus now? I can try and think of two things for each to kind of summarize it down. So let me give you mine. There was a time in my life when I was insecure and trying to prove myself. But now I know Jesus has brought me into God's family by his death. And so I know that I'm loved and I know I'm growing. Have you got a story like that? Did anyone time me? Does anyone want to? Let's go again. Was it 22? Wait, wait. Okay, I'm going to get my stopwatch. Now that people are playing tricks on me, I don't trust you, so I'm going to do it myself. Not everyone, just John. Anyway, uh, okay, let's go again. There was a time in my life when I was insecure and trying to prove myself, but now I know Jesus has brought me into God's family by his death, and so I, I, feel, I feel loved and appreciated, and I know I'm growing. Have you got a story like that? Oh, I was, it was like 17. There you go. So, the, the, I mean, the, six, the seconds don't matter, okay? But the, the point is you can, you can get it down nice and compact so that it's the kind of thing you can have as a slogan in your head and it's the kind of thing you can just drop into a conversation. Yeah? All right, so I've got some paper and uh, pens and pencils. Uh, if you've got, you know, your, you've got like a sermon notebook or whatever, you can use that. Um, and if you've got a pen, you obviously won't need to borrow mine. I reckon, I reckon you can do this in about 10 minutes. Um, I will be available to answer questions and, and help you figure it out. Like I said, you're not trying to come up with the right answer, you're trying to summarize your life. 
I'm going to pray, and then I'll be around, and you can wander off to morning tea when you're ready. Dear God, please help us to see more clearly how you have given us real freedom in Jesus. Help us to see that both so that we can be encouraged to keep growing in that and also so that we can share that with others. Amen.